0: i out here singing and uh, talk to many of you about this series so far. It's funny how many people, both inside the church and outside the church, say the same exact thing when they find out, oh, wait, you're doing a whole Mr. Rogers thing? And I'm like, yeah, we begin talking and they'll say, man, I wish that we had more people in the world like him. We need more people like Mr. Rogers. Would you agree? I agree. And I find it humorous how while we say that, our culture treated this guy a little bit unique, right? How we perceived and talked about him is kind of funny. Uh, On one side, he embodied this person that as a culture, whether people follow Jesus or do not, we would say we need more guys like this. And at the same time, his show and his character, his personality and who he was was mocked endlessly throughout culture. Um, I, I mentioned Uh, a little while back uh, in, I think it was the first week, how in the early 1980s, Eddie Murphy used to do a spoof on Saturday Night Live called Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. And it was taking Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and bringing it to the ghetto. And so they talked about things like gentrification, and, you know, it was fun. Uh, it, It was so funny to me. But Mr. Rogers... Believe it or not, when he was going to do an interview on The Tonight Show with Dave Letterman, if you don't know who that is, he, he sits in chairs and interviews people on Netflix now with a big beard. Um, but he used to have a, a show where he would interview people as a Tonight Show, and Mr. Rogers, on his way to the studio, instead of going right to Dave Letterman's studio, he went to the SNL studio, since it's in the same building, and he knocked on Eddie Murphy's door. And when Eddie Murphy opened the door, he just stopped he looked and with this giant smile on his face, he's like, it's the real Mr. Rogers. And he just enveloped him in this huge hug. And Mr. Rogers, funny enough, Fred just, you know, hugged him back in true Mr. Rogers way. They took a, a picture together, a Polaroid that uh, they, they, they have. And believe it or not, Mr. Rogers goes on to David Letterman and is like, look, we're hanging out. like in, in Eddie Murphy, Mr. Rogers, not the people you would expect together. And so he had this light-hearted feel with people who would make fun of him, but he didn't always have that, especially if it was going to cost people, um, you know, if they were going to put them in danger or make fun of him in a way that was uh, going to harm children if they would listen to this. And so I don't know, how many of you have heard different rumors or urban legends, we'll call them, about Mr. Rogers, that, that there's things floating around about this guy? Uh, there are quite a few things. Maybe you've heard some of them. Uh, Mr. Rogers... Uh, was an expert sniper um, expert sniper or uh, better even a, a navy seal who fought in Vietnam that's what he's known for and you know how he comes in and he puts on his cardigan that his mom made for him they, they're all made by his mom and uh, he would put them on but he always wore long sleeves because you know why oh you see we have heard this one Mr. Rogers has tattoos he's got sleeves he's my hero um you know That's that's who Mr. Rogers is. Uh, People like to talk about the time that Mr. Rogers was so angry when they were filming that he flipped off the television cameras because he was a very different person behind the screens uh, than he was uh, on them. And so it's like, oh, man. And and we really believe this one. You know why? Because it was made into a GIF. And uh, we have that. If you're looking for it, I'm not going to show that. Come on. I know you're like, really? At Crossbridge, we can get away with it. I know that. But we're not going to. And what's funny is, he was actually, the gift that they have, it's just an edited version. He was doing Where's Thumpkin? And, and they put that together. But, he, you know, things were said about him all the time. All the time. And he never let it get to him. Because... Honestly, he knew what he was called to. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. And he stuck to this. But I will tell you that I believe this happens to Christians all the time. People who pursue Jesus and want to dedicate their life to his teachings. The world says stuff about people like that. The world will lie about people like that. And they'll get made fun of. They'll get ostracized. And I'll tell you, to be fair, sometimes what people say about followers of Jesus, about Christians, is well-deserved because there are times that we will uh, uh, just adamantly claim to believe one thing but live out something very, very different. And when it's pointed out, we're not even repentant or apologetic. We're just stubborn. Anybody else feel that besides me? Okay, I, I do this sometimes. So when they say stuff and we're in that place, yeah, it's kind of deserved. But overall, I think, man, the way that we live should look different than the world. It should look different from the people around us, just like it did for Mr. Rogers. And instead of fighting evil with evil, Mr. Rogers had a different defense, a defense where he consistently lived out his faith in a way that the Apostle Peter kind of laid out for us in 1 Peter chapter 3. And, and I believe that the hope that he lays out there is our hope for today, and that simply is living a consistent, Christ-like life will be the greatest defense to any lies rumors or accusations that are leveled at us when people say things about who we are as christ followers that living a consistent christ-like life is going to be the greatest defense and i'd love to explore this um, around the passage that colin had read for us from first peter chapter three so if you have your bibles with you i would love for you to turn to first peter chapter three and if uh it's going to be all the way towards the right hand side of your bible if you have one just a couple pages off the back and uh, if you 've been soaping with us, which is the way that we all read Scripture together here at Crossbridge, your note card might even be there because we read this passage this Thursday, which is kind of cool um, if you don 't know, this is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a group of uh, just tinier churches that are spread throughout Asia Minor uh, that doesn 't exist now it 's known today as Turkey. so think about that that region over there, and so in turkey he 's writing to all of these churches because They are under massive amounts of persecution. The world that they live in is not happy about the way that they're living, and so they're lying about them. They are persecuting them, and so to get a letter that's going to be circulated into these smaller churches from the Apostle Peter is a huge deal, and it's going to be this note of encouragement to them, building them up, reminding them of who they are. And so for the first two chapters, that's really what it is. It's it's a letter of encouragement to the churches that Peter's saying. I'm so blessed by you. I I love the way that you're living out your faith. Uh, Let me tell you that who you are in Christ is so important. Remember who he is and what he's done for you and and just ground yourself on that stuff and just remember, and this is what he tells the church, remember, the way that you're going to live is absolutely going to look different than the people who are around you. There's no way around that. This is what following Jesus is going to look like. And then he kind of lets them know, here's what it should look like in your life so you can kind of have an idea, both personally and as a church. Let's jump to verse eight of chapter three. It says this, finally, all of you. uh, Do you notice who Peter's addressing here? Uh, Everyone, okay, this is everyone. I'm going to say this includes us as the church, okay? So finally, Crossbridge, all of you, should be of one mind sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted, and keep a humble attitude. The Apostle Peter starts out with four things that this church should be doing. And what I love about these things is in the Greek, they're all written in the masculine form. So there's, just like in many languages, there's a masculine form and a feminine form to many words. This, these are all written in the masculine form, which in the Greek usually is a very action-oriented, like a firm form. Firm kind of uh tense and so he's saying if you want to do this here's what you got to do and you got to do it uh, you know really strongly it's first you got to sympathize with each other that's the first two sympathize with each other what does that mean it means you have to listen and understand right pay attention to each other understand then love each other and the, the word love that he uses here is actually phileos uh we know that philadelphia right city of brotherly love so he's saying you need to have this bond with each other as a church if you want to be of one mind you need to sympathize with each other you need to love each other like family that's what you need to do here then you need to be tender-hearted well that's not very manly is it that's not masculine oh my gosh is it masculine tender-hearted is it's tough to care sometimes and you're gonna have to lean into caring for people because life is hard and we're gonna need each other and lastly, the fourth thing that he says is you got to keep a humble attitude. you got to remember, you're no better than the people who are, who are around you in this church, that they're struggling with things, that you're struggling with things. You need to take a humble attitude that you don't know everything and that you're going to need to extend grace and forgiveness just like you're hoping for it, right? Now, if, if the church picked up on these four things and they lived out together what it would mean to sympathize with each other, to love each other, to be tender-hearted and to keep a humble attitude. If you saw a community like that, do you think it would look a little bit different? Do you think it would stand apart from the world that we live in? These are not things I experience in my everyday life as I live in this world. I do not understand these things and see them and experience them often. I just don't. So it's going to look different if the church starts to operate with this as their kind of ground level. Let's start loving each other with mercy, compassion, tender hearts, sympathizing. And then if the world begins to see that, some people are going to be in awe of that, going, oh, I want some of that. Ah, let me get plugged into that community. But other people, this is going to be the most terrifying thing in the world. And when we're scared of something, fear has this amazing ability to make us want to stop whatever it is that scares us, to shut it down. And so I believe that this is what that first century church is experiencing. So, so, Peter says to them, to these persecuted Christians, in the first part of chapter, or verse 9, he says, this is how that's going to work out. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. (laughs) Please remember, this is a persecuted church. And when I say persecuted, I'm not meaning like, they said we couldn't pray in school. Uh, I'm saying they're literally being taken away, jailed, for just being associated as someone who goes to a collective gathering with other believers in Jesus. And so they are experiencing evil on a level that that is a little bit different and what Peter's saying to them is like, okay, you know what it's like to experience evil, you know what it's like for people to insult you and so what are you going to do when they do that? I will tell you that the gut reaction that I have, maybe it's not for you is when someone does evil to me, I'm ready to repay with evil. If you hit me, I'm ready to hit you a little harder to let you know don't do that again. That's my sinful gut reaction. And what Peter's saying is you can't do that. When someone does evil, you do not retaliate with evil. Instead, you retaliate, and the word that he uses here is blessing. And what's wild is this payback that we use, this blessing. The word in in the Greek here that's crazy to me, it's, it's rooted in the word that we use for eulogy. Now we talk about eulogies are something that when you say nice things about someone who's passed away and we associate it with death. But here that is not how the word was originally used. This word eulogy means to speak blessings over, right? Even if you go to a funeral of someone you know that was a nasty person, someone still has something nice to say, like they'll pull out a sliver, right? You know what I'm saying, right? They can pull that out. What what? Peter's saying here's when someone does evil, when someone insults you or does evil to you, your payback is to speak blessings over them, finding the thread, even though you can't stand them, and speak blessings over them." That sounds great, doesn't it? How many of you are excited to follow Jesus this way with me? Right? This is not part of who we are. This doesn't excite us. Why? Why in the world would Peter tell us that when we are insulted? and evil is done to us, our repayment and payback for that is to eulogize, to speak words of blessing over them? Why would he do that? Why not retaliate? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Because I think this church and all these churches asked that, and Peter tells us in the second half of verse 9, when he says, this is the reason why you do that. That's what God's called you to do. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing. Why would I do this? Because that's what God's called you to do. I'm not going to try to give you a logical reason. I'm not going to try to tell you all the reasons it's going to be a benefit. Sometimes, and I hated when my parents do it because I said so. I hate that reason. Yeah, well, why would we speak blessings? Because that's what God's called us to do. We want to follow God. This is what he's called us to do. And when we do that... It says that God speaks blessings over us. It's the same word of eulogize. That God sees in us this goodness and speaks more of it into our life. When we begin to speak into the life of others who persecute us, who insult us, can I tell you that our sin is insulting to Christ? That our sin keeps us from being so intimate with God sometimes that there is this ick in us that God says, ah, but because of Jesus, I've brought you close." And now we sit in a place where god speaks blessing over us peter goes on and he quotes in this passage from psalm 34 and psalm 34 uh, it's in the middle of your bible this is a psalm of king david before he was king and he was a shepherd and what peter's going to do is he's going to ground this truth of because i said so (laughs) because this is what god's called you to do into scripture so that it's got some grounding for us and this is why And in Psalm 34, uh, it's kind of cool to know this. I don't know that the church here would have completely understood it, but uh, this is when King David wrote as a shepherd, but he had done nothing but good things for the current king, Saul. And he had been a huge blessing to him and spoke goodness over him, but Saul continued to insult him and do evil to him and chase him to try to kill him. And so David is running for his life. And that's when he writes this Psalm. And, And so... It says this in 1 Peter 3 starting in chapter, starting in verse 9 or 10. It says, "If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies." Okay, let's let's just stop me. You, how many of you want to enjoy life? Boy, if your hand's not up, what the heck? Are you okay? Are you are you alive with me now? Just at least put a hand up. Are you alive? Okay, great. Some of you, this is wild. You're really "Mm going, I will not do this for you. (laughs) Won't you be my neighbor, please? Um, Listen, this is it. If you want to enjoy life, this is what we're looking for here. You want to enjoy life. You want to see some happy days ahead of you. Both Peter and David are telling us, don't lie. Watch your mouth. How many of you and I, I'll I'll be the first to raise it, your mouth has gotten you in trouble and allowed you not to enjoy days. Yes, amen, I see those hands, hallelujah, this is what gets us in trouble the most, our lies, and when we speak evil, and it's like, oh no, when we don't lie, do you know the benefit of this? No one can say, well, you're a lie." no, call me on it, I didn't say those things, I don't lie. Now, that's really hard to live out, because we don't want to answer things honestly, because we're ashamed of that. But he, he continues, he says, okay, just don't lie, don't speak evil, turn away from evil and, and do good. Check this out, search for peace and work to maintain it. This isn't a one-time action that David is saying or that Peter encouraging the church. This is something we have to commit to, we have to work for, we have to intentionally be turning from evil to what's good and searching for peace because it's hard to find, isn't it? And then when we find it, we work to maintain it. This is part of the way that we live out life. But it's worth it. It's so worth it. Do you know why? Because both David and Peter continue. And they say this, because the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil so to answer our original question why why should i not retaliate why should i not pay back evil for evil why should i speak blessings over them not just because god said so that's a good enough reason But the other reason is because when we choose to live a life where we're not going to lie about those people and insult them, we're not going to say shady things about them, we're going to pay back speaking blessings over them, and when we see that there's evil happening and we're like, I'm going to turn from this and try to hunt for peace in this situation, work to maintain it because I'm frustrated with them, which you're allowed to be, and when we live life that way, that's going to look very different to the world around us. Because this is the way of following Jesus. This is what we are called to. And God is, I love the way it says that God's eyes are searching for people who are doing this so he can just listen to their prayers. What is it that they are crying out for? Because when we engage in evil, when we engage in insults, when we engage in lying, it's very clear that God turns his face against those people. Why? Because it destroys other people. This is what we're trying to do that type of life is going to stand out, isn't it? It's not going to make sense to the people around us when they say, you should retaliate. It's like, I'm not going to, though. This is going to draw attention. And when it draws attention, people are going to want to know why we're not fighting back. People are going to know why we're speaking good things about people, not bad things about people. And we're doing it with a smile. And in verse 15, Peter says, instead, you must worship Christ. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you, about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. You see, when we live this way and love our neighbor by not lying, insulting, or repaying evil with evil, it's going to stand out and they're going to say, what in the world why are you doing this? And it doesn't tell us to have answers ready for all their tough questions about Jesus or all their tough questions about what it means to follow Jesus. It tells, Peter tells us, always be ready to have an answer for the hope. What's the hope? The hope is that if I don't repay evil for evil, if I don't insult, if I don't lie, God has this and I can find my firm footing in his love, in his forgiveness and his grace and I don't have to understand that this is like, they'll get paid back in a different way. Nope. I'm just going to stand in this grace right now. And the hope that I have is that God will redeem all things for his glory. The hope that I have is that what I'm going through right now isn't wasted pain. That those lies, they'll be seen for what they are. They'll be seen. The hope that I have is that God truly does care about me. He sees this and recognizes it. That's my hope. My hope is God cares. My hope is Christ can redeem this. Sometimes I think we're so scared to answer people's questions about the way that we live in Jesus because we think, what if they ask a question I can't answer after that? That's not what Peter says. Just be ready to have an answer for why you have hope. And if people can't see hope in your life, they'll never ask that question, will they? But when they ask, in verse 16, it tells us, you do that in a gentle and respectful way. Let me say that again. When we answer people about the hope that we have, we do this in a gentle and respectful way. This is not the time to go beating people with the Bible. This is not the time to go, uh, you know, just getting all after, or, or as uh, one of our elders, Brett, said a couple weeks ago, to get cantankerous for Christ. We still got to make that bumper sticker. That would be so, but no, 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 we don't. Um, that's <laughs> not what we want when we're driving. Um, We need to be living life with gentleness and respect. That means when people we disagree with have conflict with us, we're not the ones yelling at them. We're responding with hope. We're responding with grace. We're responding with forgiveness and treating them with dignity, with respect. We need to have this because that will allow us to look at people differently, to love them differently. And so when you do that, you will frustrate people. They will lie about you. They will get frustrated with you. They will want to pull you down into their world. And so when people talk junk about you, you know what? Living a consistent Christ-like life will be the greatest defense to any lies, to any rumors, and to any accusations that are leveled against us. Now make no mistake, you and I will mess up in pursuing Jesus. In following him and his teachings, we will mess up. We will fail. We will fail to love God. We will fail to love people, which is sin, when we fail to love the way that Christ has called us to. And when we do that, can I tell you, quick confession. Repentance and asking for forgiveness goes a real long way when we mess up. We're going to have to learn to live life like this because it, it happened to Jesus that he was spoken bad about. It happened to the disciples. It happened to this early church. It it happened to Mr. Rogers. It's going to happen to us, isn't it? But with Mr. Rogers, people said all sorts of crazy things about this guy. About why he wanted a kid show? Oh, he must be a pedophile. Why does that have to be something that's said? The man loved and studied child development so that he could help kids when they were being overlooked people said all sorts of things and what's funny is every time they said it it never really stuck we kind of giggle about it like oh sleeves why because he consistently lived a Christ-like life he adhered to the teachings of Jesus of loving people of treating people with gentleness with respect he looked at everyone as his neighbor and saw them with value with dignity he sat and, and, and stared at them like they deserved to be seen. Maybe one of the most known stories about Mr. Rogers is um, one of him and uh, a young person named Jeffrey Erlanger. And it's just an amazing story. I don't know if you've heard it, but um, let me just let Howard and Pam, Jeff's parents, kind of set the-
1: We wrote because... Jeff was going to have uh, spinal fusion and be in a, what they call a halo, uh, cast, you know, a halo metal cast. rim and then cast on his shoulders and bolted all, all the way together. down his trunk. And, yeah. He, he may not through. have survived the surgery. And so we said, you know, what would you like to do? Uh, this is going to be a really big task for you. And so we want to kick it off with something that would be really special.
0: Mr. Rogers?
1: Hey, Jeff. <laughs> I'm glad to see you. Hi. Thank you very much for coming by. Can you tell my friends what it is that made you need this wheelchair? Sure. Well, when I was about seven months old,
0: I had um I had a tumor and it broke the nerves to tell my hands and
1: legs what to do. I see. And I got a wheelchair when I was four years old. That was your first one mm-hmm. when you were four? Uh-huh. He told Jeff before they started that they would have a chat and then sing a song together. I think he said we might sing a song, yeah. I remember, because yeah. I mean, I was sort of surprised. What, he's going to start singing a song? Well, you know, this is totally not even what song. It's you, I like It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep
0: inside you.
1: Not the things that I do. You, not your fancy chair, that's just beside you. But it's you I like every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself,
0: it's you, it's you, it's you. Um, I
1: like you. And it is you I liked you. Thanks. And there must be times when you do feel blue.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I'm not feeling blue right now, though.
0: Me neither.
1: <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. I remember asking one of the the staff people that was there, well, you know, what do you think? Did it go okay? Don't. This is good. This is good. He had his surgery. He survived. Certainly Mr. Rogers had an impact on who Jeff became. His sense of self.
0: It's amazing, isn't it? This is from uh, episode 1478, which aired on February 18th. 1981, and it looks like Jeff comes out and Mr. Rogers walks out that fake door and is like, oh, hey, and it looks like it's so familiar, doesn't it? What you don't see here, and you can only really discover in his biography, is five years before this moment, that's when that letter that his parents said was written. It was written by his sister to say, can can my brother meet you? And no one knew that mr rogers on his way out to film something in the middle of wisconsin stopped on his way at a diner to meet them so that they could have lunch together and five years later he invites him to be part of the show and and when he walks out there's such familiarity i mean jeff's parents talk about they were running late and it was so hard because none of the Places to get in and out was really wheelchair accessible and and fred how was running behind schedule and things just didn't work and but it's just natural isn't it and when jeff is talking about how he got into the wheelchair and what was going on did you notice what mr rogers didn't do he didn't interrupt him when jeff was searching for words and trying to get them out. He didn't interrupt them. He didn't just try to say, well, hurry up. We're on on a schedule here. We've got to get going. He loved him right where he was, and he leaves a blessing in his life by singing the song, It's You I Like. I messed up singing today because this week I've listened to at least 30 different versions of that song and just loved it. And when he sings that song, Jeff didn't know what he was supposed to do, but he knew that song because it's always sung. Francois Clemens sang it last week, we, we watched. And so what does Jeff do? He turns that blessing right back around and gives it to Fred. It's a pretty cool moment, isn't it? But consistently living like Jesus means we don't love in moments, we love over life. You see, he stayed in contact with Jeff, and they just continued to live life together, but things parted as Jeff became a huge advocate for individuals with special needs. Um, Fred continued to do the show, and about 18 years after this moment, um, Fred Rogers in 1999 was being inducted into the TV Hall of Fame. And there's all these super bougie you know, television stars, and there's, it's just this huge ceremony that they're gonna honor him, and everybody who's anybody is there. And instead of any of those people presenting him the award, it's pretty cool that they secretly got Jeff to come and to introduce Mr. Rogers to receive this lifetime award and induction. And uh, it, it's so cool. Check out, the, we'll look at two parts of this video really quick, but look at the first part. Watch. Please welcome Jeffrey Erlinger. It is-
1: glad you. Oh, thank you for coming. I like Oh, it is, uh, a <laughs> It's a It's an honor to be here tonight to be part of your proud mom. This proud moment, you know, when, when you tell people that it's you, I it's you, I like. We know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like. you were. Absolutely. Okay. Well yeah. To Jeff Erlinger and all of the uh, all of the wonderful neighbors who have grown up with our neighborhood, this this was, of course, completely unexpected, and what a, what a wonderful gift, and I thank the Academy for allowing this to happen.
0: Mr. Rogers pretty old right here. You can see it. I don't know if you noticed, there's stairs on the side. As soon as Jeff came out, Mr. Rogers broke protocol. He didn't even wait to be introduced. He jumped up to the front of the stage. He, he, like, hurtled that thing like he's 17, just getting up there. Why? Because when he said, it's you I like, he meant it. He meant it. 18 years later, he meant it. And it meant something to him because that's what love looks like. He locks eyes with Jeffrey. He receives this blessing from him. And then you can't hear it. It's a little mumbled at the end. uh, But if you go and watch it later on YouTube, which I'd encourage you to do, he asks him a question when he's kneeling down next to him. He says, would you stay here and support me while I get this, while I do this? Why? Because that's what community looks like. He didn't say, I'm glad you're here. This is a cool moment. He says, would you stay here to support me because I need you as much as you need me. This is amazing. And and once this all settles, he goes on to his speech, which we'll skip all of that because it just summarizes the responsibility that every one of those people there needed to take in what influence they played on television. And, And listen, your job is to bring goodness to the world and you point out the good in life. That's what we need to be doing. And then he concludes with this final piece. And we'll close with this.
1: But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own. By treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves. And allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take ten seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us and wanted what was best for us in life, those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just ten seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. no matter where they are, either here or in heaven. Imagine how pleased those people must be to know that you thought of them right now.
0: Maybe what people need from followers of Jesus is to look like Jesus, is to live like Jesus, to love our neighbors, at least as much as we love ourselves. I think if we live life this way and truly try to love our neighbors, by thinking about the goodness that that's in there and leaving blessings into their life, could you imagine what the church would look like? Could you imagine if we were known as the people who left blessings instead of took them? or expected things from people. Could you imagine what it would look like if we lived a life of confession with people that when we messed up, they couldn't say, see, I thought you were a follower of Jesus. I knew that you did things that are wrong. And it's like, of course I do. And that's why I need forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And instead of them pointing out things, we're quicker to confess them. Because this is what Christ has called us to. You know, I don't know who has spoken into your life that, has got you to be in a weird spot where you're sitting here at Crossbridge today. You could have chosen to be anywhere else, but you've chosen to be here, and whether it's through pain in your life, frustration in your life, peace in your life that has driven you to a place of saying, you know what, I'm I'm gonna be in this community right now. Someone or something has kind of prompted you. But I tell you as clearly as I can, your neighbors and my neighbors are experiencing that same searching for goodness for belonging, for someone to look at them and say it's you I like and mean it. And so on your chairs right now, there is some note cards. And um, if you see them, here's simply what I would like for you to do. There's two note cards there because you're going to write the same thing on both note cards. There's some pens, so uh, if there's not a pen next to you, you could share it. Who are the three people? that are close to you right now, that you wish they would ask you questions about why you believe what you believe. That they would ask you about the hope that you have. Who are three people that sit at your lunch table, three people that maybe live in your house, three people that are at work with you, three people that you are stuck on a bus with. Who are three people that you want to intentionally pray for for the last three months of 2023? And every day say, Lord, not, not help their life be changed or help this. Lord, may I speak blessings into their life and would they see something in me that would make them curious in the next three months that I can invite them to join me at church, invite them to join me at Trunk or Treat. invite them to join me at Christmas Eve service, invite them to join me at my small group, invite them to join me giving blood, invite them to join me whatever it is that you are doing. Who are three people? And I want you to write those same three people on each card. One of them, I'd love for you to tuck into your Bible. Put it into your back pocket if you don't have a Bible with you. The other one is, with the other card, I'd love for you to put it into our giving box. I want to pray for you, for your friends. You don't have to put your name on top. I don't even care. If you do, I'm going to pray for you with them. But I'm going to pray for opportunities that people would ask you and ask me for the hope that we have. So I'm going to give you 10 seconds. I'll watch the clock, Mr. Roger style. Oh, I can't believe he's making me do this. Yep. Go ahead and take 10 seconds and just put those names on those cards. As you leave service today, can I just, I'm begging you, please, just throw them in the giving boxes. I would love to be able to pray um, for these. The second thing that I would ask you to do is this. If you're going to have trouble blessing people, maybe start with a song. Start with a song. Maybe you start to prayer walk your neighborhood like I do, and you start by singing, it's you I like. It's you I like over your neighbors. It's you I like over the people that you're thinking, but I don't like you. Guess what? If you continue to sing that and ask, Lord, help me love my neighbor, he will change your heart. But it's going to come down to speaking blessings over your neighborhood. So take time to walk your neighborhood. Take time to think about the people on that list and ask God to help you love them and like them. If you don't like them, they'll never ask you questions, will they? No way. But when you live a consistent Christ-like life, that is the biggest way when people start talking junk about you, when they start saying things that are all about you crazy. That's your biggest offense. And so, as we get ready to receive communion, if you don't know the words, to you I like? I'll read it to you as we prepare our hearts for communion. It simply says this. It's you I like, and I'm not going to sing it for you. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear, it's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way down deep inside. It's not the things that hide you, it's not your toys, they're just beside you. When I sang this to my kid this week, I said, it's not your toys, they're just everywhere around our house. (laughs) It was awesome. But it's you I like. Every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new, I hope that you'll remember. Please hear me on this today. Please hear me. I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like. It's you yourself. It's you. Crossbridge, it's you I like. Let's go love and like people together. Amen. Amen. This is what we get called to do. We're all going to sit and say, I wish there was more people like Fred out there. Okay, you do it. Do it with me. Let's do this. Because Jesus Christ himself, as we read in that passage, gave himself up for us so that we could be in relationship with God and he can look at us and say, not only do I love you, but I like you. Let's love people the way that he's loved us. Would you stand with me as we prepare our hearts? Jesus, there's people on these cards that you love and you like. And you desire for all of us, Lord, to be in relationship with you, to receive forgiveness, to receive your goodness, to receive grace. And we sit in this place going, it's so hard to love, though. And so maybe in that step, you would help us learn to like the people around us as we learn to love the people that you would give us empathy and compassion, gentleness and respect with our neighbors, that we would live a life, Jesus, that even though when people lied about you, he's a drunkard, he's a glutton, everyone stopped and went, that, that doesn't match his life. Lord, would the way that we live match where there is sin right now, we confess to you and ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, where we need to extend that, we do. Let us receive your body and your blood, remembering you gave up everything for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.